Greetings. Today, in Alatra TV studio, we have a psychiatrist and one of the participants of the game of professionals What is Consciousness, Diana Olenik. In a more quiet atmosphere, we will talk about psychology and naturally we'll try to answer those questions which this very interesting science is facing nowadays. Well, I suggest that we begin. Greetings, Diana. Greetings. You know, I'm going to ask you a question right away, straight to the point, as they say. Tell me, please, since today it is often said, and the one who is interested faces it, that science as a whole is in a rather difficult situation, which can bravely be called crisis. The same crisis is mentioned in both psychology and psychiatry. So tell us, please, what kind of crisis is this? Is it really the case? And what are its reasons? Does it really exist? Yes. Does it really exist at all? I would say that the crisis of psychology as a science has been talked about basically since it ceased to be a part of philosophy. Because until the second half of the 19th century, it was a part of philosophy, just one of its branches. Yet, approximately since the beginning of the 20th century, psychology decided to set up on its own and declared itself a separate science, a separate scientific trend. From that moment on, many contemporaries who observed this process of its separation and formation as a science started saying that psychology had entered the crisis. Why was this issue raised, and what were they talking about? Until the second half of the 19th century, Psychology was a science about the soul, that is, the central subject of the study in this science was the soul, an exploration of the divine nature in the human being. However, after it became an independent science, it rejected this very concept as the central subject of its study. Practically from that moment until now, the subject of the science has not been defined, and the goals and tasks of this science have not been determined. Accordingly, scientific concepts have not been picked out, and there remains a constant disagreement between various branches in this science and between various specialists. There is no uniform perception of these concepts. There are disagreements about how to understand it, how they relate to each other. Therefore, we cannot say in principle that this science is developing. Now, I'd like to read out two quotes. Perhaps they're familiar to many professionals, but they will be new to the audience. In my opinion, they clearly show and identify the reason for the crisis in psychology as a science. In order to become a science, psychology firstly sacrificed the spirit and the divine, and then it slaughtered the soul and consciousness, having exposed itself to a physiological act. Psychology firstly lost its soul and then its consciousness and mind. It tends to turn from the science about a human whose self is a part of God, into a science about a supercomputer that is merely called a human. I think the reason is identified very accurately here. As a matter of fact, the founders of the scientific trend and scientific psychology, William James and Wilhelm Wundt, introduced this concept for the first time and established scientifically the fact that a human has no soul. By the way, they're the founders of personality theory in psychology. And this eventually led to a constant, incessant crisis in psychology, which has lasted for more than a hundred years. We can say that psychology is at a dead end. 
so the conclusion is self-evident. When people abandon the divine and their true essence, the whole society, not only science, but the whole society, comes to a dead end. And there is one more interesting point that draws attention to itself. Together with the concept of the soul and the spirit, the science of psychology has lost its unity. There is no single core. Specialists themselves constantly note this. I found a very interesting metaphor by one psychologist. All the scientific trends in psychology turned out to be as if on separate islands, isolated and unrelated, having lost any connection. Thus, psychology has become just a pile of incongruent facts. What are you talking about now is clearly reflected in the statement ascribed to Julius Caesar, divide and rule. Divide and rule. This is the principle of the system and the way the consciousness of every person functions, according to the primordial knowledge given in the books by Anastasia Novich and the videos with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov. However, these things are obvious to us and to those people who have become acquainted with the knowledge, who, let's say, practice and thus know the working principles of consciousness. They know how the system works, they are able to track it within themselves and they can see it in other people. Yet, what's getting interesting? Now you have spoken about the root causes of the fact that psychology initially went in the wrong direction didn't it? I mean, the subject of the study initially was the soul, but later on, as far as I know, psychology began to study consciousness. It didn't study it, it described it. The thing is that psychology should have studied a person's self, the nature of this self, the essence of human nature and the essence of consciousness. But eventually it turned into a science that describes human behavior. Nowadays, the concept of the soul and the spirit, as the central subject of studies, remains only in humanitarian psychology. There is such a branch in psychology. And it is inextricably associated with Christian philosophy, where they still adhere to the understanding that human nature has a divine origin. It's the only branch that psychology has to date, and in order to make the fact of a crisis and the result of this crisis in science and society evident, I would like to bring up a few more such facts, what we have come to as of today. Today, in most European countries, the total number of hospital beds occupied by patients with mental disorders exceeds the number of beds for patients with tuberculosis, cancer and cardiovascular diseases. What I have just listed are the medical areas where the incidence rate is the highest. For example, in order to understand how fast the increase in mental disorders has been over the last hundred years, let's just note that the budget of the National Institute of Mental Health in the United States has increased 600 times over a 50-year period. And today, the most widespread mental disorder is depression. Generally speaking, the World Health Organization has called it an epidemic that now affects all of humanity. According to forecasts, if no effective solutions to this problem are found, in the year 2020, depression will become the number one disease among all diseases existing on the planet today. It is already the most common disease that women suffer from. 
And even more terrifying, if this process continues and progresses, in the same year, 2020, depression will be the number one killer in the world. Because today, up to 60% of all suicides are committed by people who suffer from depression. Such are the facts. This is the result of people's consent to the scientific views that a human doesn't have a soul. In the project Game of Professionals, What is Consciousness?, where you and I participated, not by chance, the first topic chosen was to understand what consciousness is, at least for the project participants, and I really hope that for our audience as well. It has become evident that consciousness is an aggressive structure. It's a beast within ourselves, and I will say even more, it's a maniac killer within each of us. In official science, this beast has replaced the concept of personality, the one who a human being really is. And if human personality is consciousness, then with such a scientific approach, we come to a society of animals where depression, suicide, various types of aggression and violence become the norm and turn into the biggest problem in psychiatry. I wouldn't say it's the biggest problem just in psychiatry. It's the biggest problem in society, because these are inextricably connected things. Science provides for well, here there is an understanding of the science's responsibility when a concept is defined of who a human being is, and this concept is spread and affects all areas of society's life. And in such a case, we should just say and accept as a fact that today psychology is a science which describes the behavior of a person-animal, I would say a person-beast, because when a person chooses to exist as an animal, he becomes the most awful beast on earth. Nowadays, this is an undisputable fact. Yet psychiatry has described the behavior of this animal in its extreme manifestations when it becomes a danger to itself and others. That's what such sciences as psychology and psychiatry have become today. So with all this, I would say enormity of the situation with an obvious helplessness in the face of the suffering of a great number of people, millions of people, at congresses on psychology and psychiatry, at various forums, questions are certainly voiced that, yes, there are problems, and it's impossible not to pay attention to the steady growth of mental disorders. However, it is voiced as just a problem, and only a few specialists point out that it's a crisis, that we're actually experiencing a crisis. It doesn't sound loud, that it's a dead end, that we are at a dead end, we're helpless, we're unable to help. After all, the main task of a physician and a psychologist is to help another person, to help him cope with the state that is destroying him. But it doesn't sound like that. Instead, they continue, for example, to discuss the reorganization of the structure of psychological assistance or improvement of methods. What methods? The ones that have led to a dead end? But improving these methods is the same as improving a patient's suffering. The issues of drug therapy, with its obvious inefficiency, continue to be discussed and raised as well. Whereas almost all psychotropic drugs have a list of side effects that include the entire list of mental disorders, which they're supposed to be dealing with. Moreover, it's very important to remember, although nobody talks about this, that in terms of their effect on the human body, 
psychotropic drugs are among the most toxic drugs. There are no organs or systems of organs that are not exposed to this toxic effect. By and large, I can say that we're provoking development of a large number of somatic pathology. Thus, we actually turn people into invalids without helping them. So, instead of helping people, healthcare is engaged in maiming people. Not to mention those facts, when doctors and science don't work for the benefit of society, but work for the benefit of pharmaceutical companies, which is unfortunately an obvious thing nowadays. And while in the past someone could hide this under the guise of some moral or personal viewpoints or qualities, today it is no longer a secret for anyone. The point is that there are people who agree with this and do it. And there are, let's say, zealous opponents of such a trend. You know, from what you have said, it has become very shocking for me that in the basis of such science as psychology, the very name of which says that it is a science dedicated to the soul, the concepts are substituted. The first place is given to consciousness with all its destructive manifestations for a human as an integral being for a human in whom the spiritual must prevail. A person simply turns into a beast. Hence, such treatment methods are used, so to say. Those very tranquilizers are used, intended to calm an animal down so that it doesn't go wild. Or if this doesn't help, let's just say the animal is slaughtered. This is what we see in modern psychiatry today. I would say even more, although I know how scary it's going to sound. Indeed, the main effect that psychotropic drugs have on people is psychomotor immobilization. It's like, you know, when a person gets inhibited. We can say that today, while continuing to prescribe these drugs as medicinal intervention, we're involved in murdering people. This sounds scary, but I think it's even scarier to keep doing it. You have just mentioned tranquilizers. We thus contribute to murdering personality in a person. Because if we understand how tranquilizers work, why does it seem for a while like there is an illusion of an effect? Tranquilizers suppress the activity of secondary consciousness through which all these delusional, obsessive ideas are formed. What is delirium? Let's say it's an obsession with certain ideas which a person cannot divert his attention from. Or let's take hallucinations. These are images that are sent by that very secondary consciousness. And when such drugs are prescribed, the activity of secondary consciousness abates. So there is a certain effect of weakening symptoms. However, primary consciousness becomes more active. And we know that under the effect of psychotropic drugs, a person quickly turns into an animal, into a stupid animal. We know this too. All specialists know this. I have just recalled something. One of the leading medical publications, the Lancet Journal, published a research by British scientists, which was conducted in 2008. What was the essence of this research? They studied the effectiveness of classic haloperidol. It's a classic neuroleptic. A typical neuroleptic risperidone 
while the third group has always received the placebo drug. So the effectiveness of these drugs was studied and how they affect aggressiveness in behavior of mentally retarded patients. The results turned out to be stunning. The highest percentage of efficiency, almost 80%, was in the group of patients who received the placebo, an empty drug. The conclusion of these British scientists was as follows. Antipsychotics should no longer be considered an acceptable therapy for the treatment of aggressive and challenging behavior in people with mental retardation. That's the conclusion of British scientists. Moreover, I can even say that the practice of any psychiatrist is the largest-scale research and confirmation that drug therapy of mental disorders is ineffective. You know, here the question becomes relevant again. Why do they keep silent? Exactly. This question is the most important one now. Why do they keep silent? because specialists themselves don't understand and don't realize who in them makes a decision and why exactly such decisions are made. I would say that nowadays specialists themselves lack the strength of spirit, the spirit of honesty. And you know, there's some kind of a paradox. On the one hand, any meeting of a psychiatrist or psychotherapist, any meeting of a psychologist with a person who seeks help, begins with defining the problem as such. Then there is something to work with. Until it's determined, we don't know what to do next. Moreover, in psychiatry, for example, a criterion of a patient's recovery is considered to be his criticism of his own state. And it turns out that we teach people one thing, but we ourselves do another. Meaning these are the double standards of consciousness. Right. And, unfortunately, these double standards have got integrated into the life of society so easily. Now I am talking not only about specialists in psychiatry, psychology and science in general. I am talking about society as a whole and all its representatives. I would also like to touch on the following point. Who are the founders of this science? Today I have already mentioned the names of two people who introduced the denial of the existence of the soul into the concept of a human being. Moreover, I'd like to mention a few other names. For instance, the founders of psychology and psychotherapy, the main scientific trends in this field, were Freud, Jung, and Kandinsky. These are people who suffered from drug addiction, schizophrenia, and paraphrenic disorder. By the way, paraphrenic disorder is a fantastical delirium of greatness, which is accompanied by a delirium of persecution, exposure, and, of course, the corresponding emotional disorders. They suffered from depression with multiple suicidal attempts. In particular, Kandinsky died after another such attempt. Or, let's take, for instance, Jung, who discovered the theory of the unconscious with its archetypes, or created a worldwide and world-famous school of analytical psychology communicating with spirits. These are well-known facts. What does this mean? It means that we use hallucinatory, delusional fantasies of one person as a scientific basis, while for the rest, an enormous number of other people who experience the same fantasies and delusions, we, pardon me, prescribe huge doses of haloperidol, immobilize them, and call them mentally ill. But what is the difference between them? You see, 
this thesis that genius and madness are inseparable, that is widespread in our society, where has it come from? Who benefits from it? We know how it manifests itself in all other spheres of society, in arts and so on. Everything is quite simple. Let's just look at the biographies of these very geniuses, their life stories and the actions they performed. And it becomes clear, who benefits that such geniuses became either founders or leaders of certain new trends, or offered some interesting views on the solution of one or another problem. But as a matter of fact, the system simply puts forward its own, let's say, conductors in the lead. And naturally, other conductors pick it all up. The system dictates to them its basic principles of impact on a human. Because if we look at what principles they laid down and conducted in psychology, personality, how does it sound? I have already mentioned that William James was the founder of the philosophy of pragmatism. And what is pragmatism? It is when human behavior and activity are determined by selfish motives and selfish interests. Thus, this man has declared, I'm an egoist, right? What kind of definition could he give for all other people of what a personality is? Personality is an egoist. But as we know, who is an egoist? It is consciousness. So this is the way the system has openly claimed its rights to a human. Then there was Freud who said, yes, a human is an animal, an animal whose behavior and development are determined by instincts, unconscious instincts and attractions, the most important of which is a sexual instinct. And all this is inseparably linked with fears. Moreover, a person's sexual desire can never be satisfied, which sort of forms a need in him to get rid of himself. Freud called it the instinct of death. So science has clearly defined, a human being is an animal whose behavior and development are determined by sex and fear, which leads to suicide. Here are the facts we have today. And then a lot of people argue and say, we don't agree. Neo-Freudians say that they have a completely different approach to understanding personality. But it will always be, you know, like, personality is… If any person happened to ask himself a question, who am I, where would he start looking for the answer? In psychology. He would open textbooks, read and see that personality is a product of the social in a human. Personality is a combination or interaction of some mental processes. Thus, it's some kind of a product and combination. So in science, such death faceless notions as mental norm, subjective sense of comfort, individual, and the object of activity describe who a human is. You know, taking all this into account, being engaged in the science, you have a feeling as if you are in some damp, dark tunnel from which there is no way out. It's just a lifeless space. And then, when I got my hands on the books by Anastasia Novik, and I read how it is described there who a human is, you know, I would like to read one of these definitions now, in order to make it clear for the audience who is going to be listening to us. Yes, I think it will be very helpful. The word Chelovek itself, human in Russian, is not quite simple. Cello originally meant supreme. That's why in the old days this word used to designate a forehead, while the word vek stands for force, power, and it originally meant filled with power, eternal, 
Chelovek, human, stands for the one who is filled with, full of, the supreme, spiritual, power, whereas the real human or the primordial human is the filled one in whom the supreme, eternal power, the spiritual nature, predominates. Until a person starts understanding his nature, it will be difficult for him to realize what his true happiness is. It's from the book Alatra. Absolutely right. Unless a person understands his spiritual nature, unless he understands who he really is, unless a person knows that he is dual, in my opinion, everything that psychology has done becomes absolutely useless. And it is really devastating. That's okay if it was only my point of view, or just yours, or the point of view of the participants of the project. Game of professionals, what is consciousness? However, there are statistical data. And facts. Right. Society is really perishing. But it's not perishing from tuberculosis, it's not perishing from gunshot wounds, it's perishing not even from diseases. From depression, from selfishness. Right, from something that doesn't actually exist. Yes, from the work of consciousness. And people just die. Regarding the concept of a human, I really liked how in the video Victory over oneself, Igor Mikhailovich with the participants describes it on a figurative example of a cocoon and a butterfly. We recommend you to watch this video, just like in other videos. There are a lot of interesting things in it. But the concept of a human, outlined in the first series of the books, then in the book Alatra, and later in that video, is clearly revealed. And many questions are simply eliminated. So. Make sure you take the time to watch. Right. And there is also such an interesting question and observation regarding life that currently, in the Universal Grain Social Research Project, we discover that in many ancient languages the word life and the word spirit or personality used to be denoted by one and the same word. Thus, it has always been universal, the concept of life and spirit. And it was exactly so. And such a question arose, so who lives in a human? It turns out that consciousness tries to deceive that it is the one that lives, although in actual fact… Let's say… It depends on what we mean by the word human. A human, in modern understanding, or in our understanding, is precisely that which we see, hear and perceive, that which wears clothes, gets his hair done, and so on. That's a human. Yet, in the olden times, a human was meant as the inner component. Some of our friends might object and say, well, these things are inseparably linked. No. This is absolutely not so. From time immemorial a human was perceived as the spiritual component. Let's put it simply so as to clarify. There is a caterpillar which has woven a cocoon and a butterfly is developing out of it. When we look at a cocoon, do we say it's a butterfly? What do we say? We say it's a cocoon inside which there is a butterfly. That's how it was perceived before. It's a body in which there is a human. There was such an understanding, but later it was forgotten a bit, it was erased. Although there are echoes, and they can be found. It is perceived in a completely new way, what it means to become a human, right? That's not just some moral values. That's right. But first and foremost, it is cultivation of spirit. Well, moral qualities are also very good. And religions actually deserve a lot of credit here, different religions that exist. They really instilled moral and ethical qualities. However, by and large it's wonderful to develop these qualities, but without spiritual development, it's just a temporary phenomenon. 
That's why the spiritual is much more important than, let's say, development of solely moral and ethical qualities, because that would be a play, a play of a good person. While inside, consciousness will act absolutely in the same way in both a good person and a bad one. Meaning, the same thoughts come both to a morally and ethically educated person and to an ordinary, let's say, hooligan. This is easy to verify, what thoughts come in one or another situation to the same questions, practically absolutely in the same way, will accept that a person of culture will be presented with more cultural information. We have talked about it more than once today, and I think it is necessary to clarify to our audience and your colleagues the concept of personality, which is set out in the books by Anastasia Novich. Personality is a spirit, a spiritual being. This is whom every person perceives himself to be during his lifetime. Personality has the right to choose between the spiritual nature and the animal nature. It is personality that possesses life energy and has such a tool as attention. You see, I just had a thought that it is very comfortable, very exciting. Indeed, it's a great pleasure to say that a human being is an alive, living being, a potentially immortal being. Even the very understanding of what conscience is, we always say conscience. As a matter of fact, conscience and personality are identical concepts. It's a manifestation of the spiritual world in a human. It's a manifestation of life in a human. In the game of professionals, we use such a notion as a hypothesis. And we said that we take such a scientific hypothesis based on the knowledge given in the books by Anastasia Novich and the videos with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich. However, I'd like to remove the word hypothesis now. Psychology isn't the science of a human. We have already said that it's a science of an animalistic person. Thus, the only living and true science of a human is Alatra. It's the science of life, the science of love, the science of how to become a true human. How can this be called a hypothesis? It's the only living and true science as of today. It's not a hypothesis. Certainly, it was so amazing when I came into contact with this knowledge. I immediately... There's no other way to describe it. There was such a lively response. It was such a joy. You know, it's like you have been sprinkled with living water. There is no other word for it. It's a feeling of being protected. It's a feeling of joy and self-confidence. And I remember how amazing this state was for my consciousness, but it was really there. I remember that surprise. There's a lot of information and knowledge in these books. At first, there were just books, while the videos with Igor Mihalovich were released later. I immediately had a feeling that I knew it was true. I just needed to comprehend, to learn, and to gain a better understanding of it, so as to perhaps internalize it through my own experience. You know, we're often told, kind of from the mind, and psychology also mentions this, that a person can control a situation, he can control his state of mind, how can he control it, in fact? Such an order comes from one's mind, I can do it. I can either express emotions or suppress them. Suppressed emotions lead to illness, that's all. Although, as far as I know, this is quite a popular trend in psychology. Very often we hear that, no, 
you mustn't suppress your emotions, you must express them. Well, as far as I remember, we have discussed it many times with you and with other participants of the project, that these are the techniques which trap a person in experiencing some kind of emotions, mostly negative, but they don't bring anything useful. Right, this is really so. But when you gain this first experience with an understanding that you are personality, that you're really free and you can make these decisions, this is a completely different understanding. When you begin to observe consciousness, to observe thoughts that come, to refuse to pay attention to them, this is a totally different experience and different understanding of managing a situation. Even at the moment when a certain emotional reaction has already started, you can stop, take a notebook and a pen, and you can write down everything you haven't said out loud, thank God. And with this recording of thoughts, calmness comes, the state of mind changes, because separation from these thoughts occurs, and the process of observing them begins. Certainly, when you get this experience, when real peacefulness, comfort and tranquility set in, in your own house, in your own relationship, it's impossible not to start sharing it. And it so happened that in the process of learning, of course, I began to apply this knowledge and experience. I began to apply this knowledge and experience in my work with patients. And that's where consciousness interfered with its doubts. Seemingly, I had accepted this for myself. I was sure and I realized that I would go on and continue working because I saw the obvious effect. But here consciousness said, how can I talk about it? Should I talk about the human's dual nature right away, because a person has never heard or read about it? Or, for instance, should I recommend the books by Anastasia Novik and the videos with Igor Mikhailovich or not? And if yes, then when? Otherwise, what will they think? And all this kind of nonsense. But it was actually a very important and interesting stage because, what am I trying to say? You know, there shouldn't be any difference for a specialist. I'm sitting at home, preparing for something or studying something, then I meet with a person and kind of practice certain knowledge on him. No, this kind of work on myself is a continuous process. I'm learning, and at some point I meet different people, they come to me for help. I can share with them what helps me the most. According to the stage I'm at, that's exactly how I help. And you know, it's a process of mutual learning. We help each other. All these insights and observations just accumulate, meaning there cannot be any different stages and different periods. I'm working on myself all the time. I'm constantly learning to control my consciousness. I'm learning to observe thoughts, and I'm learning to watch how they catch my attention and how these emotional states develop. And within this process, I just share. Thus, when this certain understanding had already accumulated, as I understand, the process of separation from consciousness intensified and it got easier. At some point, the following understanding came. No, Anastasia Novik did not write several volumes in order to gradually lead readers to the fact that their nature is actually dual. No, and that's how I decided to tell about it all. How to tell? The way it is written, that's exactly the way we should tell it. Yes, a human is dual, because people come, they ask, they already ask these questions themselves. For example, what is happening to me? I'm hurting my family and loved ones. I'm aware of this, I suffer from it myself, and I keep repeating it over and over again. What kind of a beast am I really? Where do I get it from? On the one hand, I feel that it is bad. I know how to behave and feel differently. 
Or, for instance, a person says, I understand that all my problems are because I'm obsessed with certain thoughts. If I switch my attention or stop thinking about it, it would make me feel better. But I don't know how to do this. Or when people say, I have this feeling that I'm not at all in control of any situations, that I'm like some kind of a robot and I am being controlled. Thus, people's questions are sometimes more honest and deeper than the answers of specialists. And when this question arises from consciousness, should I tell right away or not? But what else can I tell? All other answers are not answers. They have led to a dead end. That's the only answer. What is there to think about? After all, everything is simple. But this process, some kind of understanding needs to happen, and then everything becomes easy, simple and clear. So yes, I tell everything right away, just the way it is. Based on what you have just said, that it becomes easy and clear. It becomes easy and clear for the one who works on oneself and practices. For the one who practices, of course. If a specialist is not familiar with this process, he cannot help with the honest questions of his patients. I don't understand what is happening to me. I am like a robot. It is not difficult to learn and start using a new terminology or to try a new technique, which appeared in a scientific magazine or was heard by a specialist at a conference. Yet it is difficult to control the beast within oneself and understand how all these mechanisms work. But when you understand all this and apply it to yourself, then, I guess, such a specialist may be called a practitioner, not a theorist. Theory and practice are totally different things. Yes, a practitioner can give advice and help his patient. Perhaps he has already gone through hard times, and this particular case is also interesting for him. Therefore, he shares his practical knowledge with the patient and helps him. Moreover, there can also be such patients who stand side by side with a specialist, a therapist, and they go through a particular situation jointly and grow together, but without practice. You know, there's also another thing, that consciousness casts a lot of doubts. Should I recommend the books by Anastasia Novich or not? In classic psychology, it's not customary to work with a patient's worldview, and such recommendations may only be given upon a patient's request. However, I think it's a special situation here. Again, this is my personal opinion and experience. The thing is that I recommend the books and the videos straight away. Even if a person doesn't yet respond, doesn't start reading the books, but begins to do, for instance, some meditations described in this book. Let me clarify this particular point. You have just said, I recommend the books and the videos straight away. A person comes in and says, Hello, Diana, I am Alexander. Alexander, here are the books and the videos. Go ahead, read them, and I will see you then. To be honest, sometimes this is exactly what I want to do, because it's actually the honest and right thing to do. Nowadays, there are many people who have found the books without any recommendations. They read and learn, and they watch the videos with Igor Mihalovich, and they have got rid of neurosis, anxiety, various kinds of addictions and panic attacks, which they had been trying to cure for many years. So, you know, I'd rather turn to my colleagues with a suggestion to read these books instead of waiting for patients to come and say, Doctor, it helped me. Maybe it will also help you, and you will stop taking the pills that I take. It may seem funny, but nowadays people ask just like that. 
Listen, the doctor takes the same pills, antidepressants and tranquilizers as I do, and sometimes even neuroleptics. Then what's the difference between us? Here is a very important point. Why recommend? Because we're learning another way of communication, live communication. We can actually say that we're learning to live. We don't know how to do this. We know how to exist, but we don't know how to live. And here, when we learn something new, it's very important to communicate with spiritually strong people, with spiritually strong personalities. So these books and videos are filled with this communication, live communication. A person himself can recognize, can feel this living language, the language of love. It should be felt. It's impossible to understand it through one's mind. And there's another very important point. The thing is that I'm also in the process of learning. I'm still on this path myself, and I can only share my understanding. But the books and videos contain the entirety of knowledge. A person can understand and accept all this himself much faster, can give me ideas and share it with me as well. It means, you know, this is sort of a mutually enriching process. However, we know many examples, and Igor Mihalovich says that people respond to this knowledge differently. People's readiness to accept it and start living is not quite the same. So why should I be such an impediment to a person's development? I share it with you, but after that you're free in your development and we're learning together. And this is very interesting. It's very interesting because it's a completely different process. You know, regarding the fact that there is direct access to this knowledge, to this information, it is very important that you have voiced this. Unfortunately, there appear people who have listened to their consciousness at some point, and for some reason they begin to devise their own techniques based on this knowledge. And this was mentioned in many videos. Exactly, absolutely right. It's a very good point, Alexander. At this particular moment, as I myself tell about this and share my experience, there is a treacherous point when I get a wish from my consciousness to create authorial methodology and to strengthen my significance. These are just patterns of consciousness, here, exactly in this moment. And here I say no, immediately. There is the source of knowledge, true knowledge that didn't go through understanding and experience of only one person. Moreover, this knowledge is given in the amount and at the stage a person himself is able to absorb and understand so far. Therefore, I'm absolutely convinced that there can be no authorial methodologies based on the knowledge. An example of such an authorial methodology is Freud's theory. We know the outcome and where it leads. Therefore, there is the knowledge, and that's it. It is given in its fullest and purest form, and it is open to everyone. That's why I believe there can be no authorial methodologies based on the knowledge. Since we have already started talking about the concept of personality… About the true concept of personality. Yes. Since we have already mentioned that, unfortunately, a dead concept of personality was initially embedded in psychology. I mean, it's easy to mention even the meaning of the word personality. The word personality was taken from ancient Greece and meant a mask, which was put on by an actor 
who performed in a theater. Well, now everyone has an image of these ceramic masks in their consciousness, which illustrate either an extremely positive emotion with a huge smile, or, on the contrary, an extremely negative one. That is, according to the play rules of the time, an actor had no right to express any emotions. He just put on a suitable mask. It was already at that time. Since you have said today that for a long time psychology was just a branch of philosophy. A trend, one of its trends. Yes, a trend. A misconception of personality was embedded. And today you have voiced what this has already transformed into. So, let's talk about what might occur or what might happen. If it comes back. When psychology accepts this genuine understanding of personality. If we look, what is the essence, the trigger in the development of any problem and any mental state? It is concentration of a person's attention on certain images and thoughts and immersion into a corresponding emotional state. What is the basis of all psychotherapeutic approaches aimed at helping a person to get out of these states? It is shifting a person's attention and formation of a new attitude towards a situation which is traumatic for him. And these are the two things I'd like to focus on. Switching attention. But what is it switched to? Attention is switched to other images and thoughts which also correspond to a certain emotional state. And it can be changed at any moment, because all this is the playground for consciousness. Neither patient nor doctor controls this process unless we separate ourselves from the work of consciousness. And it results in this loop back in a circle, because it's not the doctor or the patient himself who switches the patient's attention, but it's consciousness, the system, the one who stands behind this entire system. We can actually say that consciousness, the system, the one who is behind it, we call him the devil or the programmer, has written a scenario of this performance for every person from the beginning of life and to the end. For every person. If he engages in it, he precisely follows this scenario. And we can say that a doctor's work with a patient is just a part of this scenario. It's just another role. And the one who controls this process is the one who controls the entire system of consciousness. Until a doctor understands, and people understand, that human personality isn't consciousness, but it's the one who can observe the work of consciousness, the one who can refuse thoughts and images. Yet for this, it needs to be understood that the self is the personality. The thing is that only personality can be unpredictable for the system. Let's say only personality can escape from this scenario from performing these roles. Why? In the book Alatra, the holistic energy structure of a human is described. Well, for today, thank God, it's already known, neurophysiologists helped us to determine this, that a human being isn't just a body, that consciousness is at least a field structure, and it is located outside of a human body. It's necessary to understand that there is a holistic energy structure of a human. After all, soul is not in the body either, but a person has it. Hence, there is something greater in this energy structure the position of personality itself enables it to be an observer in relation to its consciousness. When you get this knowledge, when you study it and continue to learn how all this works inside your own energy structure, 
it becomes clear where this observer position comes from. Because, for example, when a patient comes to a doctor with a certain problem, for the doctor, the problem is obvious. It's obvious for the doctor. Why? Because in relation to this situation, the doctor is in the observer position. Meaning he is detached. He's detached. He's not involved. Because the problem begins when we get immersed in the situation. Actually, we get immersed not even in the situation, but in the work of consciousness. And we see no way out, since we have a narrow perception of the situation. Still, why do we feel relief? There is such a temporary effect, because many colleagues, many viewers who might listen to us will say, no, wait, it does help me. It helps temporarily. There is a temporary effect. Due to what? Due to the fact that when a person comes, a doctor, being in the observer position in relation to the person's situation, helps him to get out into this position. However, if there is no knowledge, then there is no understanding of how to remain in it. Therefore, for as long as the patient stays with the doctor, and they sort of look at the situation from outside, the way out seems to be obvious. The person comes back home. A couple of days pass. He calls and says, While I was with you, everything seemed to be clear, but now it started all over again. Why? He remains one-on-one with his consciousness, and the game continues. There is no separation. The one who can constantly observe the work of consciousness doesn't develop. That's the advantage of the position of personality. Moreover, when a doctor is alone, he gets the same game of consciousness and has his own problematic situations, in relation to which he sees no obvious way out. And very often specialists turn to each other for help. For example, when there are problems in their families or with their children. And this makes it very clear. What else helps? All psychotherapeutic methods use the so-called principle of confession. We all know it. If we come and tell someone about our problem, it makes us feel better. By the way, it's not necessary to go to a specialist. You can call a friend, you can go to your neighbor, it's up to you. When a person shares, he feels better for a while. Why does this happen? The thing is that the basis of confession was initially… Well, there's such a concept as catharsis, purification. That's what used to be the real work of studying one's own consciousness, such honest, conscientious studying with an understanding of who is involved in this work. Observation was made from the position of personality. It was thoroughly studied how thoughts come, how they capture a person's attention, how at the same time, when there were group sessions, two or three people get the same thought, for instance, to generate a conflict between people. If at a certain time, I receive a thought about you, Alexander, that you are so bad, dishonest, and so on, then if you also do the same work on yourself and study how your consciousness works, you can observe that around the same time, similar thoughts about me come to you. So there is an understanding of who is doing this work inside me, for what purpose, and what the main goal actually is. And now, imagine just for a minute how effective this knowledge really was, how effective was this method of separation from consciousness, that even in such a distorted, rudimentary version, I would say, in which it now remains, in the form of such a psychological conversation or confession in the Church, where the same principle is used, it still continues to have an effect. Right, although for a moment. Can you imagine what power this method actually has 
when it is used in its pure form and correctly, there came an understanding. Always when I was reading, I often thought about this, where sages, elders, and saints got such kindness, such sincere, unfeigned acceptance of people. You see, it's a huge difference. When I'm wearing a mask of peacefulness, or when I am actually in a peaceful state and have a friendly attitude towards another person. And now I've got this understanding. When you study how it works within yourself, how you cope with it or don't cope and do it again, I mean, how this process is taking place in you, it becomes clear what is happening to another person. And here you get such an impulse, an impetus, a release in order to gain an understanding, a real understanding of another person, and to get away from judgment. This is also very important, because for the consciousness of many viewers, it is a helpful piece of information. Guys, consciousness is a program. This has been said many times. It is inanimate, and there is no exclusivity in it. It works the same way in everyone. Thus, you can easily banish this thought and simply work hard on starting consciousness. Everyone receives absolutely the same. Regarding the fact that it works the same way for everyone, nowadays Skype consultations are very popular and widespread, and it's possible to communicate with people from various countries and various cities. There are the same questions, the same comments from consciousness in different situations. There's just no difference. Now it's so obvious that there is a single computer network for the whole world and a mail-out which takes place simultaneously. Igor Mikhailovich, it is also said that confession is, so to say, a restoration of dialogue with God. No. But in essence, it is actually only the first stage of working on oneself Absolutely right. to learn how the devil acts within yourself. Once a long time ago, yes, we have spoken about this more than once, there were cathars. They had catharsis, purification. This is precisely not a confession about the fact that I am sinful and have committed something. It was already later that it was all turned upside down. Like, I gave in, the devil seduced me. There was exactly work going on. Regular work on how our consciousness operates, it was a collective study of patterns. What consciousness tells me, what it tells you. And we see that one and the same command comes to us at the same time. When we observe it, we see it. And we understand this pattern, we understand the programs, and that you and I are like two computers, pardon me, while the devil is like internet that imposes the same programs on us. And that's all, thus having understood this pattern, we just tell him to get lost along with his programs. And he starts to perform the function that we need, right? For instance, we need to eat in the morning, go to work, accomplish this and that. And that's it, and then don't bother me. And so it executes this program while we live. We abide in love while it works. That's how it should be. This is precisely getting rid of sin, meaning to force the one who makes us sinful to work for us. This is right. That's how it should be. How can it be otherwise? If we understand that consciousness is aggressive towards each of us and towards other people, that's how it manifests itself. And consciousness of a specialist works the same way as consciousness of a person who is seeking help. Then the question is, does such an aggressive consciousness intend to help another individual? Why, for instance, is it so important for every specialist to acknowledge and develop himself as personality? 
It brings it back to the sincerity of what a specialist will begin to experience as a human. I have already mentioned that there's a big difference between putting on a mask of peacefulness and being truly peaceful and benevolent. If a specialist perceives himself as consciousness, it becomes clear why neither the specialist nor those people who come to him for help can attain a calm state. Consciousness operates at a speed of 60 thoughts per second, and it's a flow of aggressive, negative, and intrusive thoughts, incessant thoughts commands. Can we really talk about peace in this situation? On the other hand, personality is connected to soul, a manifestation of this feeling, of this flow of feelings, which constantly flows from personality to the soul, represents the language of communication between the spiritual world and a human. It's the true language of communication among all people in general. And when you start giving, when you learn to give attention to feelings, to direct your attention to soul, and immerse yourself into this calmness, quietness and kindness, where you want to stay forever, that's how you reach an understanding of where this true peace inside of us is, and where we get this calm and benevolent state from. When people come to us, they experience strong negative emotions, and the first thing that should be done is to help a person calm down. However, consciousness works the same way in everyone, and every person who is under the control of his consciousness is emotionally unstable. The only thing he can do with his emotions is to either suppress or express them. However, I'm a specialist, and I cannot express my emotions right now. So what will I do? I will suppress them. And the emotional burnout syndrome was actually described by specialists based on those emotional states they experienced themselves. Yes, it was devised by specialists. Where does this syndrome come from? By the way, please note that there is no syndrome of burnout through feelings. However, this game of notions, emotions versus feelings, is everywhere, in every textbook, every edition, and every scientific article. In the same sentence, you can see an emotion of nostalgia, and after a few words, a feeling of nostalgia. Yet, there is no such thing as a feeling of nostalgia. There's only an emotion of nostalgia. It is so important to understand what personality is. Perceiving oneself as personality will eventually help to understand that emotions and feelings are absolutely different things. However, we still don't have this understanding, so we play with these notions. Emotions have causality. They always have a cause and always have an end. Even the longest emotion comes to an end sooner or later whereas feelings fall under the category of unconditionality. They have neither beginning nor end, and they don't depend on any external reasons. As I've already mentioned, the spiritual world communicates with personality through feelings. You can call this a flow of vital energy. Feelings are love, joy, happiness, kindness. These are the true feelings. Understanding, respect, acceptance, and true care already stem from there. This is what feelings mean. There is no feeling of being lonely or feeling of anguish. There are no such notions. As for emotions, these are anger, resentment, nostalgia, loneliness. In fact, this is the advantage of having a choice. The choice is given to personality. What do I choose every moment? Do I choose to pay attention to programs of consciousness and experience anguish, irritation, or any other negative emotions? Or do I give attention to feelings, 
and then I will experience love, joy, and happiness. And that's a big difference. So how does this emotional burnout syndrome occur? Now we clearly understand this mechanism, how it takes place. A patient comes with his or her emotions, and a specialist isn't safe from it either. The specialist is just as controlled by his consciousness as the patient, and it constantly forms some kind of emotions in him. If emotions of a patient, for instance, a situation that he's talking about, resonate with the specialist, he gets infected with these emotions. Or he can experience different ones because his consciousness is active, and it constantly bombards the specialist with thoughts right during the consultation. I'm getting fed up with all this. How long are they going to tell me the same things over and over again? Soon I will become an idiot like them. This all happens, and this is true. The specialist hears these thoughts, but the thoughts are emotionally tinged and lead to a certain state. Which state? Irritation. Hence, these suppressed emotions eventually form the emotional burnout syndrome. However, what happens if a person, the specialist himself, is in a feeling of love, a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness. There are such notions as commiseration and compassion. Com means a joint action. So when we are under the control of consciousness, don't separate ourselves from the work of consciousness, we plunge into this commiseration, into those emotions which a patient transmits to us. Moreover, people come to specialists with extremely negative emotions, and this lasts all day long and a specialist doesn't know how to protect himself from that. While compassion is when I'm in these feelings, which are much stronger than any emotions, it so happens that my state is stronger, and I help a person as if pulling him up to this state. I help him to feel it and immerse on his own to find that which is alive in himself, which can respond and experience the same feelings. And these are totally different things. So we can say that the understanding of what personality is, the concept of personality, and the ability to live as personality provide any person, including a specialist, with protection against both the emotional burnout syndrome and various mental disorders. Look, how many things we have revealed while talking with you today. So many new concepts, so many new phenomena. Even what you have just said about the emotional burnout syndrome about compassion. After all, today we have already mentioned the energy structure of a human being, and it is not difficult to find it on YouTube and see how this structure looks. You can read in the book Elotra about what it looks like, and a specialist will understand how this interaction occurs. That's right. It is mutual induction. It is how we get infected with these emotions. Because what I'm talking about is the experience which everyone actually has. We all know that when we're upset with something, oppressed or irritated, and there's just a calm person around, it makes us feel better. We even want to be near such a person. In other words, we do have an experience of being in these states, but we don't understand how it works. We hadn't realized it until we got the knowledge and description of how it works. This is described in the books by Anastasia Novik, and Igor Mikhailovich explains this in the videos. Yet, how can a person, an ordinary person, protect himself during the day? It seems to me that the first thing people have to learn, once they have felt something, is that the world is not quite the way it's been told, and explain to them, and they understand that they are not just a two-legged monkey, but something more. Then before they engage in any practices, they have to learn what? To shield themselves. To shield themselves. That's exactly the point. 
And what does Alatra give right away? It puts a shield into people's hands, right? And until a person has mastered the shield, he cannot pick up a sword against the very system. While in our case, everyone tries to do the opposite, to renounce the devil and so on. Yes, that's an interesting question. And what is a shield? Let's figure this out. Let's do that. It's exactly that protection, which is extremely necessary for a person on his life path. What for? In order for him to walk around the marketplace calmly and feel fine afterwards, so that he could listen to whiners who talk about their illnesses or spread such news, in which everyone should invest attention right away, or just from dominators and the like. It doesn't matter. Visible or invisible creatures, substances, spirits, whoever it is, no matter how they try to influence a person, it won't succeed. They won't succeed because a person possesses what? A shield. An ability to control his consciousness. That is, his personality is just free from manipulation of consciousness. What is the first thing that is told about in Alatra? That consciousness is not you, right? When personality is free, it understands. You as a personality, and you are a personality. You easily capture thoughts that come to you, and you already understand whether you need to implement them or not, whether they can be relayed, conveyed to someone. Or it's better to remove this thought at all. That is, whom it is coming from, why it is coming, and what influence. After all, again, everything goes through consciousness. It was also very helpful to hear you describing the states when a person is in love, when a person is in peace. Basically, one of the most recent videos, The Shield, clearly explains what kind of a shield it is, how it helps, whom it protects, and from what. And why is this actually good? Because since the function of consciousness is separation and segmentation, many people think that personal life and home is one thing, while profession is another. Like, for instance, I can apply it here or there. Let's say, I have this knowledge for this purpose, but there, at work, I will use a completely different means. This is exactly the kind of examples you are given today. They are a clear indication that this knowledge is applicable everywhere, that life is actually one big school, where we learn to be humans, first of all, and then to be specialists, parents, friends, and so on and so forth. Alexander, you know, people often ask this question when I tell them and share these new insights with them. I understand that they're new to people, and in a certain way, very unexpected. We don't know how, we haven't been taught to live this way. And very often people ask this question, what do you mean I won't have emotions? Will I stop being emotional? And then, what, am I going to become insensitive? You see, even in the questions themselves. Yet people should understand, in the first place, that for as long as we're here, in this three-dimensional space, the work of consciousness will never stop until the very last moment. And our right of choice, either to live with emotions or to pay attention to feelings and live with feelings, will not be taken away from us by anyone. 
At any moment, any one of us can choose what to live with and what to give attention to. However, let's remember, why do we come for a consultation? It's due to the emotions that are tearing us apart and killing us. Let's keep in mind that 80 to 90% of these emotions are negative. Why are they negative? We have already mentioned the fact that consciousness has one goal, to take vital energy from a person, and it gets it through emotions to which it provokes the personality. Moreover, negative emotions are the strongest and the longest-lasting ones. Therefore, that's the principle by which consciousness operates. Because sometimes people have this illusion, well, isn't it actually possible to learn to live mainly with positive emotions? No, it's impossible. It's the principle of the work of consciousness. It will always create conflicts, and in any way, it will try to cause negative emotions. A program is a program. A program is a program. It operates according to a given algorithm. Of course, it's important for it to get as much energy as possible. Meanwhile, the fact that emotions kill was known a long time ago. Avicenna also conducted these experiments. When he put a young lamb in a cage, a young, healthy animal that was given water and food, while in the opposite cage he put a wolf. A few days later, the lamb died of fear, although nothing threatened its life. It died of fear that it was constantly experiencing. It is such a vivid example of an experiment which clearly demonstrates that emotions kill. Emotions do kill. We see it. They ruin our lives. They destroy us. Emotions are the traits of an animal. An animal lives by emotions. But a human being isn't an animal, and he lives when he feels. That's what makes him different from an animal. That's the main difference. And this choice is given to a human being, and only a human personality has this choice, either to be an animal and be emotional, or to live as a human and to feel, to experience a feeling. While feelings, as I've already said, are only love, joy, and happiness. These feelings are life itself. And just imagine, it's actually the main request from all people who come with problems. All people have an inner yearning for love. If we get to the core, it will be a need for love. And we search for it everywhere. We expect it from everyone. We demand it from everyone all the time. Meanwhile, everything is simple. The source of this love is within each of us. And we're able to live and be filled with it. Imagine a person who is filled with love. He's got everything. He doesn't need anything at all. He really has it all. He's happy. It is just important to stop looking for it in the external. That's the whole choice. To stop running around and demanding it from someone else. And indeed, when a person finds out who he really is, that consciousness is just a tool and thoughts don't belong to him, then I can even say for myself, this gives a feeling of freedom that is inexplicable for consciousness. Because what made you act as its tune yesterday, the fact that certain emotional reactions, the same behavioral algorithms or motivations were normal, then at the moment of becoming aware of yourself as personality, a part of the spiritual world, a part of someone who can become an angel and return home, it all just stops working, and consciousness is truly in shock. I remember, when I was watching the video Consciousness and Personality for the very first time several years ago, 
There was a phrase that consciousness is the main enemy. My consciousness was in shock. How can that be? Stop. And it was at that very moment in the video when it was being told about who a human really is and what the concept of personality is. Those were the first breaths of fresh air. And then, after some time, you start going, going, following this call. And this feeling of freedom becomes so natural. And all those attacks from consciousness that you used to identify with yourself simply become useless. Yes, they continue to come. But they have no power over you. Because you know who you are and where your attention is. And this is really an incredible feeling. It is very hard to express it in words. As a matter of fact, this path which we are talking about is simple and elementary. It gives an opportunity to realize the entire essence and depth, again to learn how our consciousness works, to come to an understanding that your consciousness is not exactly yours, no matter how paradoxical this is. And the funniest thing is that it's not you. We have already brought this up in the program with you, that, thank God, now we can voice this. Why? Because this has already been confirmed by many neurophysiologists and other people who study, who observe themselves at least. They themselves face the fact that, as it turns out, consciousness puts more spokes in the wheel than it helps in the process of studying it. What is the reason for that? The reason is that consciousness of every person is a part of the whole, it's like a mycelium. The system really exists, and that which is mentioned in religions, in the Bible, that the devil exists, of course he exists. No one argues about that. He can be called in different ways. It can be called the universal mind. It can be called the Absolute. It can be called an information field. It can be called anything. But it's more convenient to call it the system. Igor Mikhailovich, what do people not see? What is happening to them on a global scale? That's a good question. What do people not see? Everything is what people don't see. As a matter of fact, if we consider a human as a personality, as a viewer who is present in the theatre of life, a human doesn't see the most important thing. People do not see that they are personalities. And people do not see and do not understand that they can really become immortal. They do not see and do not understand the elementary what they are here for, just the simplest point, what the meaning of their existence is. What do they put their trust in? Something habitual, what they are accustomed to since childhood, what they have been taught, yet what they have been taught. To be smart, to listen to consciousness, to be crafty, to live, to survive. To live and to survive where? The directive is right. To survive, again, to live, this is right. And to live well is right too. But to live where? Eternal life is replaced with temporary existence. And what is happening to a person? He is like a blind man. And what his consciousness shows him? Well, that's right, it shows him. Here's a tree, a person comes up, touches it, it's a tree. Here is a stone, a person comes up, touches it, yes, it's a stone. He can lift it, it is heavy. And consciousness says, can you really argue about this? Science confirms it as well, while you're talking about some spiritual matters. But who confirms? And through what it is confirmed? Through consciousness. And what is consciousness? Yet to a person it exactly seems that consciousness is him. But is it really him? And here is the greatest mystery and the greatest weakness of the one who is called the devil or the system. 
This is its weakness. Many people claim that the power of Satan lies exactly in the fact that he managed to prove that he doesn't exist. However, every person who has embarked on the spiritual path, who has started learning all the complexities of this path, all of its simplicity and beauty, the first thing he sees is that his consciousness is not his, and it does not serve him. Consciousness is the dictator, it's a part of the system which manipulates him and turns him as a free personality into a slave. That is the point. However, in order for a person to see this, he should, first of all, thirst for inner freedom, not want, not desire, but thirst for it. It must be a need for him. And only when a person feels this need, he can navigate this path. I would like to show you an example from my personal experience. I mean, how consciousness works and how exactly the knowledge helps, helps in practice, in everyday life. I have a son. He is three years old. I had a difficult time communicating with him. Why? Because any of his actions caused a very strong negative reaction in me. I mean, I tried to find a fault in him. It seemed to me that he was doing something wrong. It was all wrong. And I was alarmed at these moments, because these reactions were very fast. I would describe them as impulsive and hot-tempered. Naturally, I felt a need to cope with that, because it wasn't normal. Of course, I couldn't treat my child this way. Moreover, almost three years had passed, and everything was fine. But then, suddenly, such a substitution arose. I was just picking on anything. I was looking for a specialist whom I could address with this issue. I even had some phone numbers, but for some reason I didn't go. I don't know why, but somehow it didn't come to that. The situation got resolved. The situation got resolved because I started working on myself even more intensely. The video consciousness and personality was released. Let's say it was the moment when from a theorist you turn into a practitioner. That is, when you start tracking the work of consciousness and the thoughts that it throws into you. And since this scheme has been voiced more than once, picture, thoughts, emotions, body reaction and action, at that time, in my understanding, it was like that. Emotional reaction, action. Emotional reaction, action. And I realized that something was wrong, that it's not me. I didn't like it, but I couldn't stop it. When this scheme was revealed, when in the video consciousness and personality it was said that consciousness is not me, that it is hostile, that it is the main enemy to work with, that's when my first steps began. And the trigger is exactly those thoughts and images which we don't track. Right. Once you start tracking them, the situation immediately begins to change. Little by little, step by step, it was becoming clear to me, it was becoming evident that it was a manifestation of consciousness, that it was a trite desire to dominate. It is simply an animal desire to dominate, let's say, over a smaller individual, 
who has no voice, and so on, and so forth. However, it won't be true to say that it just stopped. Similarly, even at present, when a child performs certain actions, consciousness throws in certain pictures to me of how to act, how to react, how to punish. Yes. But today it is already easy, because I understand that it's not me. Whereas before, even the very thought that I could think of such a thing was shocking. And I'm sure that a lot of people have experienced this, and they still experience it. But we just need to understand that it's really not us. And the understanding of this makes our life easier and helps us to interact on a completely different level. Not when it is dog eats dog, but when one human being is a brother to another. Yet it can only be understood when a person has got acquainted with his spiritual foundation, when he knows that he is personality and not consciousness, with its programs of selfishness. So, guys, try to live, try to be humans, because that society, the society of animals, which was unfortunately formed 6000 years ago, we heard about it many times in the videos with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov, it actually lives by animal instincts. Hence, we have depression. Hence, we have murders, discontent and desire to dominate and to manipulate. Thus, I strongly agree with everything that we have talked about today, about the benefits of this knowledge and its implementation. I am just saying, it would be great and wonderful if people addressed specialists and received this very help, instead of a loop back on something external, when attention is diverted to wrong things, so to say. To other thoughts and images. As a matter of fact, specialists themselves basically reinforce this deadly destructive mechanism being themselves under the control of consciousness. You know, I also wanted to add regarding the benefits of realizing what the return to understanding yourself as personality, as a spiritual being, actually gives. We can give examples and talk a lot about this, and we share it because it's our own living experience in communicating with our children, with our relatives and friends, with people in general. Well, let's look at an example of what it also gives us. A patient comes to a doctor with some kind of loss, with bereavement. Nowadays there are many cases like that. What will a specialist do? Whatever method he uses, he will try to switch the patient's attention to something else. But it will always be something material and something temporary that can be lost at any moment. For quite a long period of time there was an illusion that all these methods worked. Why? For example, a person lost a job, so let him look for another one, or switch to a new hobby, and so on. And for a certain period of time it seemed to be working, there was such an illusion. But now there is an enormous flow of people, I mean, first of all, climate refugees, who instantaneously lose their families, jobs, houses, and even places of residence. What should we switch them to? And so now, more than ever, the absolute ineffectiveness of all these therapeutic methods is evident. Why am I saying this now? The thing is that the concept of personality is very closely linked to the concept of the meaning of life. And this is exactly the time when humanity is closer to it than ever. The return of the concept of personality 
brings back the understanding of the true meaning of life, and they're inseparably linked, because only personality never loses anything at all, it only gains, and what it gains is life. In general, the meaning of personality's life, the meaning of human life, is to gain life. This is exactly what a person acquires by developing as personality. Life is something that can never be lost. Feelings are something that is never lost, and they never disappear. And it's the only true life support for any person. Right. And it is really the inner support. It's not present in the external. And now we see it more clearly than ever. Joy may be different. There may be joy from consciousness, from acquisition of something. But it is fleeting. That's why the joy of unity with the spiritual world through feelings does not run out, it doesn't cease and doesn't bore. It cannot be boring. What's the point? The point is that it is always there, and every moment is new. It's an infinity of new sensations, of perceptions through feelings, so to say. It's a vibrant life. It is filled with life, a life filled with life. You cannot call it otherwise. While in the material world there is a short-term illusion, If a person, having come to this world, hasn't come out of it alive, this means he has simply burned his life away. That's why it is necessary to study one's consciousness. But there is a little phenomenon here. When a person studies his consciousness, it gets horrified, consciousness gets horrified. Whereas when personality realizes that it is Personality, it experiences incredible happiness. Why does this happen? Because at these moments each of them comes into contact with the One who created them. In conclusion, I would like to summarize what else it will give us if the concept of Personality is brought back. I have already said that it's prevention. Nowadays we hear, let's look for methods of preventing mental disorders. So the return, a true return of the concept of personality to science, is exactly the best means of prevention of mental disorders for every person. If every person begins to live as personality, to develop himself as personality, as a spiritual being, there will be no mental disorders, they simply won't exist. There will be no suffering, no problems, because, you see, the basis of any mental disorder is selfishness. I am the most miserable person, everyone treats me the wrong way, or I'm so important that all the world intelligence is chasing after me. It doesn't matter how this is transmitted, from which side, but it will always be egocentric thoughts, because the manifestation of selfishness in us is consciousness. If there is no selfishness, there will be no suffering and illnesses, there will be no mental disorders. Thus, it will be an absolutely healthy and happy society based on love, mutual respect and understanding. What will that give us? It will return humanness. It will restore humanness in healthcare. It will return humanness to society. You know, even as I'm saying this, just imagine what a beautiful society we can build 
only by returning to the true understanding. That is why the knowledge is given to us. We don't need to invent anything. We just need to accept it with gratitude, and this is the choice of every person. So let's make the right choice, the choice that will lead us along the road of life and not the road of death. Let us live, love, and rejoice. Thank you. I really liked the way Igor Mihalovich once said, what is a healthy person? A healthy person is a person with an angel inside. So I would like to wish all our audience, all the specialists, all of us to be healthy. I understand that those who are watching us today for the first time, or perhaps not the first time already, but still listen to their consciousness, they might have a fleeting thought that we are engaged in populism or something else. But in the end, I would like to tell an Eastern parable. Once disciples came to the old master and started asking him questions about the meaning of life, about the essence of existence. They expressed different viewpoints, because they were from different schools. He listened to them, and then he said, what's the point in talking about the taste and smell of a peach? Maybe it's better to try it. So, guys, everything is available. Take it and try it. Thank you all. Be well.